Wow, I think it's really happening, Connor. We are back. We yes, are. and that makes me that music makes me want to do some gunting, Mike. I don't know about you. <laughs> oh, hey, don't you pull a Pendergast on me, <laughs> you son it's been, of a! It's been a rough week. I uh, I was banned from the Gunter Wiki editing it. <laughs> I was in a heated dispute about uh, a season six, six episode of Growing Pains, and it was just it was more than the editor could take. Now, did you tell me that this is supposed to be pronounced with an H? Is that the official? Uh, yes. <laughs> so Come there on. we go. That was that was the takeaway from from last week's episode. So we 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 debated how how Ake pronounced his name. The answer is H. And I guess the, the way things work in the podcast world is that someone listens to the episode, you know, ten minutes after you put it up, corrects you, but then for the rest of time, people are going to be discovering that. And then writing to us telling that it's pronounced H. So, <laughs> but where's the pronunciation guide? Like, who's in so, charge of this? So, when after that, I went back and looked at it, and he says, uh, he essentially says that right away. Um, and we just sort of skipped it over. But then he's like, oh, and so I assumed that his name was pronounced, was started with the letter H. So I was always trying to guess, you know, what it would be. And so he calls him Humperdink. Um, in in the in the course of that so that sort of set that stage and i just glossed over it i suppose all right well connor i'm already angry and we haven't even started <laughs> the show so uh let's 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 uh what let's bring people up to speed who let's admit it some people will not be reading along with the the book so what is this podcast and who are a, we i think we should start there a high number of people are not reading the book i think every <laughs> member that of my family that i've talked to is is doing this without reading the book which is insane let's just put that out there it's a very strange thing to do uh but yeah so we are uh 372 pages that we'll never get back and i'm connor Lestoka, and uh you are mike nelson i am mike nelson yeah and we are reading through of course if you're this far you probably know but for those people again who are cheating and jumping in in the middle we're reading uh ready player one and we're giving our notes and thoughts on it and so uh, I think it will take just two sentences. Why don't you bring everybody up to date on where we were in the first episode and where we and where that's led to now? And we're going to read through chapters. What is it? Four through eight or four through eight. Yeah. And so what happened in this one is uh, he our lead character, Wade, solved the first puzzle and found the copper key in order to advance towards the egg hunt for the, the fame and fortune. Um, right. This is a key. um in a virtual world given to uh, as a puzzle to the world by an, a, shall we say, very eccentric billionaire. And so this is a 17-year-old high school student hunting for clues to uh, sort of solve this puzzle for a jillion dollars or whatever, right? Yep, that's that's the whole thing. And we know that he has solved it. Um, we're just sort of finding out how he did it. And that's the where we left off last last week saying, you know, can the author pull off this 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 hunt that is going to take us through the intricacies of 80s and in general all pop culture um and based on what we found out here i i remain more skeptical but uh we do want to get into something before we do this we did it last week for me uh but i think we're going to turn the tables this week and we're going to give you a uh you know, just let people calibrate their taste to your taste, Mike. Yeah, I think that's important because that is a question everyone will have as they listen to the podcast and, and jump in is be like, well, who are these guys? Who do they think they are? What are, what are they like? What's good to you? Because we are being critical. I think in a very fair sense, we are being critics of the book. We are not being 
We're not just throwing mud at it. Um, although we are doing some of that as well, yes, yes. but, but I think fairly. So, uh, yeah, so it's fair to ask who are we and what are we about? And in that spirit, we have a little, uh, uh, a little uh, section we call "Who Do You Love," and uh, and here's the theme song for that. I think. Let's see if this works. Yes. Yes, indeed. Who do I love, Connor? You have prepared questions for me so that the audience can calibrate their tastes to mine and yours. Um, so I'm ready. All right. Uh, well, let's get started. The very first one. It's a good baseline. It's because it's a divisive issue. What is your stance on pineapple on pizza? Pineapple as a pizza topping. Oh, that is a good one. Wow, I yeah. should have had that in my list. Uh, <laughs> that was that's that's very good. I'm um, I'm in the negative on that. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm normally a fan of the savory and the sweet and sort of, I like sort of Jamaican, you know, where you have the spices, sure. the sweet, and then the savory. But this this doesn't work for me. So thumbs okay. down. Okay. Uh, moving on. I'm, I'm a fan, by the way. That's why I put it on there. But it, I am <laughs> okay. always amazed that it, that is the one thing that you can, uh, you can raise people's ire by taking a fruit that everyone admits is delicious top three fruit and putting it on pizza, they are somehow revolted by it. I will say I have no passion on the issue. I just, if, okay. if given an AB, <laughs> I would just, you know, I would, sure. I would just sort of with a floppy hand go, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't like that. All right. Well, the next item is the TV show Stranger Things. <laughs> oh boy. This is going to get, you have led me into a trap of my own device. <laughs> I am genuinely curious. I don't know if we've ever discussed it. Uh, I did watch it. Uh, I admire some of the craft of it. I, I don't, but overall, a, a thumbs down. It's just okay. the pandering is is not for me. It's not meant for me, really. Although, I guess I would be about the age where I should like all the little things. But nope, to me, it was a raspberry seed in my wisdom tooth. It just <laughs> irritated me. So you wouldn't tune in for the second season. Uh, I will not, un unless we do a podcast called <laughs> Right, <Yes. laughs> 17 episodes we'll never get back. It is a very, uh, I mean, it, it seems like a, a good companion piece to this book. I saw in the, in the preview for the second season, they're actually dressed as Ghostbusters for Halloween, I assume. So they're, uh, oh, they're doubling down. A... <laughs> I'm ending <laughs> the podcast now. We're done. Exactly. All right. Uh, number three on the list, uh, the musical artist Van Morrison. Um, I am a huge, huge fan. Uh, the more eccentric Van, the better. Uh, him going off on weird tangents. I, I love it. Love it all. all right. Nice. Letting the goldfish go. <laughs> oh, that's my family is tortured by that song. Uh, I love it. <laughs> uh, cleaning windows and ringworm, all those various. Love it. Uh, post uh, Astro Week's Van songs. Yep. All right. Uh, well, then we have the entire musical genre of the blues. What do you think about that? <laughs> uh, to my taste, there's only one way to watch the blues. It is to go back in time and like be in Mississippi in a smoky long neck bar with uh, uh, with a bunch of uh, people playing the blues in an authentic blues club, whatever that means. I think people will sort of get the picture in their mind. Uh, otherwise... I can't imagine someone queuing it up on their on their <laughs> on their player and listening to it through headphones or just sitting down and listening to it. 
Okay. There's not much variance in your, in your standard, uh, you know, live blues music. It doesn't, uh, doesn't go in unexpected directions that often. No, no, you're, uh, you're, you know, you're getting, you know what you're getting. Yeah. So, so going to see Stevie Ray Vaughan would have not been a, that is not an activity I will participate (laughs) in. No. Okay. Uh, all right. So next on the list, uh, we're going back to the food. Well, what is your, what is your opinion on weird tin fish, tinned fish? I'm sorry. Weird tinned fish. Well, first of all, I appreciate the Norm MacDonald reading thereof. <laughs> I know that's what you were reaching for there and, and well done. Um, love all kinds of weird tinned fish. Yes. All right. My yeah. closet is packed with them right now. I will say that I once I had a this is not a name drop thing. I merely bring this up. I guess it is, and but I'm trying to apologize. I'm curious how name dropping can possibly work in this uh <laughs> Is that uh, Elton Brown once DM'd oh. me on Twitter and, and <laughs> said that my closet of weird tinned fish is bigger than yours. So, wow. So. All right. Well, there's kindred spirits out there, I suppose. I thought this was going to be sort of that uh, the one divisive issue, but maybe people will spend the next week emailing me to tell me I am uh, insensitive for even labeling it weird. <laughs> That's right. Okay. All right. Next on the list, uh, Christopher Nolan's filmography. Well, this is a complicated issue. Um, I, I don't like, I don't like Batman in general. And so, you know, that, that being a large chunk of his oeuvre, uh, I'm not a fan of, of Batman or, or any of their offshoots. I don't like when they return. I don't like when they began. Um, I don't care about Batman. And so that, that sort of, does that rule me out of the oeuvre? Not really. I, I mean, I think so. I mean, cause I think you could you just, yeah, he's made a lot other, a lot of other movies and he sort of has, you know, as much as anyone does a, a style and, uh, and, uh, you know, way about him that I think, uh, your average blockbuster director does not. So, yeah, I think he's smarter than the average bear and yet his films don't really touch me all that much that may seem like a dodge but you know i feel the same about you know orson wells so i'm i'm not saying okay. they're comparable but that's you know it's just it's not for me it's not it doesn't move me i won't seek them out but i don't i'm not uh i'm not hating and i'm not uh yeah i'm not if it's somebody another, another more if, yeah if i had to go to one i would not be upset about it yeah and that's an acceptable response you don't have to either you know love everything to uh celebrate it on the internet or you don't have to not everything is worse than hitler so exactly (laughs) in fact you'll find that many things fall into this category uh, if you're actually talking to someone in the real world yeah only billy joel is allowed to go to extremes the rest of us can (laughs) stay somewhere in the middle uh the next one is uh neil breen's filmography (laughs) well uh as much as as we've explored it neil breen is to the uninitiated and i'm sure there are very few people who don't know his films is a las vegas real estate developer to the best of my knowledge who makes uh hand-rolled films as it were he uh casts himself as the star and makes weird odd Films about, uh, I don't know, sort of supernatural conspiracy theories and things like that. Usually conspiracies. Usually a lot of hacking goes on in them. And right. he's always the, the, the most elite hacker. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're not good. Well, I, I'll let you weigh in first, but I, in, I think we all know where that's going. <laughs> yeah, he, um, you know, I love it in the same way I would love a, a, a James Wen film or a Tommy Wiseau film. Um, yes. For those out there, seek them out. There, there's clips and things on 
on the YouTubes. Another vision into madness where someone is has enough money to make a movie and they choose to do it. And the, th the same themes come up every single time. And yep. you just you get to see what's in someone's head. A peek into their brain. Yeah, it's weird. All right. We got two more. Uh, one is the Rhine Heights Gebot. Uh, do, do you know that? That's I don't. The, the German uh, beer purity law. Oh, yeah, yeah. OK. okay. 1400 yeah. that said that beer could only be made using three ingredients. Water. Yeah. Malt and hops. Right. And it's like in, uh, um, is, is Lowenbrow like the, one of the oldest, I, I know there are older ones and we're going to get the notes on that as well, sure. <laughs> but I think it's from like the 1300s or something like that. Um, I'm in favor of the purity law. I am not in favor generally of German beer. Okay. There, there you go. But so that eliminates any sort of like, uh, you know, addition of fruits i imagine that aging beer in a bourbon barrel would then be uncovered so it takes out some 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 positive additions to the beer world yeah it's uh it's a little too restrictive for my tastes and germans if you you spent this long making beer and the best you can do is low and brow then right yeah, <laughs> yes. i'm sorry and you know it is a, you know, a dicey subject talking about german purity laws as well it's sort of a tricky thing <laughs> to, to, to yeah, wade into yeah the words Even, themselves sort of raise one's uh, hackles innocent as beer but uh, <laughs> all right well then we got one more uh this is birds in the genus corvus what are you doing to me <laughs> you might know that that genus better as the all encompassing crow genius oh my god connor why did you do this? This is obviously you got me. You got the mockingbird lobby breathing down my neck. And so I want people to know that bird grudges are not a crazy thing that only I have. No, no, they're they're completely sane. They're a rational way to deal with a scourge and crows. Um, I, I had a multi-year war with crows. <laughs> it continues on to this day. In fact, there were several uh, haunting me earlier this morning. Um but I, this is another podcast. I mean, I sure. want to stop this podcast right, right now yes. and go discuss this. I do crow strategies. I do tell people that um, more than once, and this is absolutely true, my wife has said at dinner parties, like has sort of put a hand on my leg and whispered, you have to stop talking about crows. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> it would be like when I would come in and during during the height of this thing, when you were buying, you know, crow sounds and enacting, uh, you know, weird mirrors all over the place to distract them. I would come into the office and it would be like uh, you'd have one of those like walls with string connecting all these theories and <laughs> didn't look like you'd slept. And it'd be like, did you know that crows can recognize faces from 500 feet away? And it's like, I think that I think you need to move. I don't think this <laughs> Uh, it was there was no option i couldn't uh, oh. all right that's for the podcast but so thumbs, right. thumbs down down all right well i think we've gotten a good sense of who you love and who you are based on those uh wide variety of of things i think that paints a good picture yeah so now we can wade in and people know who we are what we like and uh let's dig in to the book so right. uh, well, connor where are we I think that the uh, as the book as this section started, our hero was uh, in school and class was about to start, and we're going to learn a lot about uh, the guy who sort of put this treasure hunt into motion, who is James Halliday. Yeah, the eccentric billionaire described in detail in in sort of the prelude to the book. I think this is the yes. prelude. Yeah. Yes. The, the very the the first couple pages. Does does. 
laid out his intro videos sort of and then why everyone assumed that the 80s would be the the key to the treasure hunt and this guy he's a charmer right Oh, yeah. He's uh, you think about just uh, like a Tom Cruise character walking on stage, flashing the grin. That's how he earned his billions. And then this guy's the exact opposite. Um, <laughs> he's you know, not no. a he's not a bon vivant. He's not a charming. Uh, uh, what's uh, Richard uh, Branson kind of. Uh... No, not at, not <laughs> at all. He uh, he's he, I think last week we, we described the the main character as sort of being he kept listing his flaws and his physical uh, unattractiveness almost to the point where you're like, I get it. I'm revolted. Uh, and then this guy Halliday, uh, who the, the lead character is obsessed with and we're supposed to see as a, you know, you know, billionaire who achieved something is even worse the way that he's described in this section. Yeah. He's, he's like a really wretched monster. Like he's barely <laughs> functioning human being. What are some of the descriptions of them? I think you have some of them. There. Yeah. So I, I Mark modern jotted this one down cause he's, he's sort of just de- delving back into describing this person, even though we've learned a lot about them already, but he, uh, he describes him. He was hyperkinetic, aloof, and so socially inept that the interviewers often came away with the impression he was mentally ill. <laughs> so right away, that's <laughs> that's that's crazy that he's you know so he's he's functioning you know he's created this billionaire world and something that's the has motivated all of society and yet often came away with the impression he was mentally ill. Yeah, it it brings to mind the old saying, you know, if everybody's telling you you're drunk, it's time to sit down. Like, maybe he actually was just mentally ill if a lot of people came away with that conclusion. (laughs) Uh, And it says, he tended to speak so rapidly that his words were often unintelligible, and he had a disturbingly high-pitched laugh, made even more so because he was usually the only one who knew what he was laughing about. So that's just it's revolting. Just this, he he sort of has like a <laughs> like a little leprechaun or something. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he's he's like so far he's uh, uh, Wayland Flowers and Madam the uh, the hideous <laughs> the hideous drag queen puppet with a terrible laugh and uh, and he you can't understand what he says and you assume that he is mentally ill in some way and he is the obviously the richest man on the planet. Sure. Who are who are our our hero keeps a uh, a poster of him in his locker room. I mean, his his school locker because he's so obsessed with them. But that's not all. Halliday was also known to lash out at people, um, I guess, when they weren't responding to his uh, quips and his high pitched laugh. He was known to fire longtime employees for not recognizing an obscure line of dialogue he quoted or if he discovered they weren't familiar with one of his favorite cartoons, comic books or video games. Yeah, this is astonishing. Here's the the uh, the writing I want to bring up about this. Uh, we're told a number of times. Uh, this is all within a, three pages, I think, and they're fairly short pages. It's it's a brief reading, so don't worry. Okay. Uh, Halliday did poorly in school because he focused quote on computer, comic books, sci-fi, and fantasy novels, movies, and above all else, video games. Okay, um, he's starting to come into focus. A few pages later, we learn that Halliday's obsessions include classic video games, sci-fi and fantasy novels, and movies of all genres. Then literally a paragraph later, what you read about how he fires people who didn't like his cartoons, comic books, or video games. And then two pages later, his biography contained thousands of references to Halliday's favorite books, TV shows, movies, songs, graphic novels, and video games. Are you starting to get a picture of this guy? Yes. And you know, when I got that picture, 
That I got that picture on page two when he said a famous eccentric Halliday had harbored a lifelong obsession with the 1980s. <laughs> it's literally unbelievable. As I was reading that, I, I I actually had a mental picture of the editor just going like, I, I give up. I give up. I can't. My pen cannot scratch through enough lines about the damn video games from the 80s. It's unbelievable. It's kind of like a uh, when you had to give a presentation in high school and they were like, it needs to be five minutes long. And you got up there with two and a half minutes of material. So you just tried to find different ways to rephrase what you said in the beginning of it, just to sort of pad the thing out. It's really insane. It's like there's, if there is anything that we've taken away, it is that this person has an obsession with eighties video games, movies, and TV shows. There has been no doubt at any point in time where I've been like, I wonder if this guy was aware of eighties uh, pop culture. Yeah, maybe he maybe this was an assignment that he wrote at the last minute and you know, a tale of two cities. This is my report on a tale of two cities. <laughs> this is a tale and it is about two cities. There are two By cities in two <laughs> yes. yeah. Best of times, also worst of times. Yeah. Uh but yeah, it also keeps going because there's another another line when they talk about how their business was taking off and what they started to do once they got all their riches, where it says Halliday bought and restored one of the original DeLoreans amassed what would and eventually become the world's largest private collection of classic video games. And so <laughs> I read that, Mike, and I don't know if this is uh, something you've noticed yet, but do you have the book nearby? Uh, it, it is around here somewhere. Hang on. Take, yeah. Take a look. Yeah. Oh, no. It's so you know what? I'm doing this podcast. The book is in the other room, of course. OK, well, if you if you have a chance to take a look at the back of the book um, next time you do it, um, you'll notice the picture of the author is uh, posing next to one of the restored original DeLoreans. Mm -hmm. And it will say uh, in the you know, there's three three sentences about him. He's a screenwriter, spoken word artist and full time geek. He lives in Austin, Texas with his wife, their daughter and a large collection of classic video games. Uh, <laughs> so just in case there was any doubt whatsoever uh, that this guy is pretty much every character in the book, uh, I thought that was just unbelievable. Like, that is... <laughs> he just did something that he wanted to do and made that into the the eccentric millionaire of the of the story. It's it's so, so crazy. Yeah, it's... I think I read... Um... I, I think it was a Grisham novel, one of the first ones that uh, I read, just because you know you would you'd actually stumble over them trying to get out of a bus or something, you know, just everywhere. And uh, that was what that was like, where he described uh, the lawyer, and it was you know entirely James Grisham's life, uh, John Grisham, sorry, okay. and uh, and you know his upbringing and everything, and then like pages of descriptions about how handsome and good he was with the <laughs> ladies. And you're just like, oh come on, man. <laughs> it was like weird fanfic. Right. He had considered becoming a best-selling author and uh, <laughs> yeah. thought about retiring to Charlottesville, Virginia. Where yeah, but this, this in this book is so bald-faced that it is, it's sort of, it's, I mean, well, every page is kind of embarrassing, but that particular fact is pretty embarrassing. Sure. And then the last thing about Halliday, I think, so after all those descriptions, um, it he he literally, in a parenthetical statement, Tosses off a casual autism diagnosis. Yes. <laughs> he, he, he just probably says, had autism. <laughs> so that's just sort of a very, very weird way to let on that someone, you know, had a had a serious condition. And he just sort of like, you know, oh, by the way, like it, 
again, struck me as something that, you know, I'm not personally offended by that, but it seems like that's something that could offend someone. Yeah, that seemed like that required a little more care than describing this guy (laughs) in every way. And then, oh, by the way, (laughs) tossed off in the last sentence about it. Um, So, yeah, that's that's the guy who's motivating this whole uh, action. And he has created this intricate puzzle hunt. And like I said, uh, ended last episode by wondering, all right, maybe there is going to be some intricate web woven here of all these uh, references and stuff that we've we've gone through. But we sort of encounter the first time that the character solves one of these puzzles. And I don't know about you, but for me, that reveal just was incredibly it, it fell flat to a degree that is, you know, things can't fall any flatter. Yeah. It, it, describing, um, describing things in, in, in that, uh, you know, his revelations, which you kind yes. of already know is very, very difficult. It requires a much more skilled author than this gentleman <laughs> to portray what is actually happening. in these Yes. Days. Cause you know, so what I, he's sitting in class and he's, he's coming to the realization, uh, what this little poem that he was given means. And this poem was discovered by like characters in the almanac were marked with notches or something. So that was sort of a, uh, easy puzzle that, you know, a lot of people had figured out. That's what Pendergrass figured out. Yeah. Wow. Then he, he was... really pulled a Pendergrass. <laughs> huh? So he was determining what this puzzle was going to mean. Uh, and then he, it, it's a poem. And so the way I saw this, uh, realizing the poem was essentially he wanted you to feel like what the, what you'd feel like watching the sixth sense for the first time, or uh, usual suspects where just this whole sec- this whole realization opens up and you know you flash back to all the things that now make sense type of thing but it was just sort of he loosely interpreted the poem and treated it like a a a, a revelation had happened yeah and and he describes his reaction as he's sitting in the classroom once again we have an author who while he's sitting there is looking around at the things directly in his field of vision. And those (laughs) happen to be the things that are the solution or, (laughs) and so in the classroom, he gets the reveal and, uh, it is described, I believe within two paragraphs. First, it is like an anvil falling out of the sky and hitting him directly on the skull. Yes, that was, that was pretty good. (laughs) But then, uh, a scant few sentences later, it is, an atomic bomb going off in his brain. The realizations continued to detonate in my brain, like a atom- in my brain, like atomic bombs going off one after another. <laughs> so it's the end of Doctor Strangelove happening in his brain as this sort of m- mediocre realization that high school students have much to learn is happening. It's, <laughs> but it's it's also that those things are going off multiple times. So he has one sort of weak revelation that he might be able to find the key in his own uh, classroom planet, like these little virtual planets. And uh, the realization of that, even without confirmation, continues to detonate (laughs) in his mind. Yes. And that was in between those two things. He literally fell out of his chair that he was so surprised um, in the uh, back in his hideout. So. So I, I don't know. I, I just so the, the whole realization, too, was the uh, was that the tomb of horrors um, is the going to be a tie into this. And so that's a du- Dungeons and Dragons module. And so everyone knew that Halliday was obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons. That was something that's his backstory. He met his business partner playing Dungeons and Dragons. It was a big deal. And so but no one had made the connection with he says there's like, you know, uh, horrors await you in a tomb. 
And I, you know, so I looked into this and Tomb of Horrors is, of course, we've never heard of it. But in 2004, a magazine called Dragon rated it the third greatest Dungeon and Dragons adventure of all time. So it's if you're into Dungeons and Dragons, it's going to be something, you know. So, so it's th- sort of like if if Steven Spielberg set up a puzzle and then one of them were about E.T. or something. <laughs> like, right. If he said, the- like, this terrestrial is very extra and people were puzzling <laughs> about what the hell, you know, a, a Beatles fan, you know, makes a puzzle horse and it's like, you know, your soul of rubber will. It's like, well, OK. Like, the no walrus one has is Paul. What? <laughs> no one has stumbled across this yet. So that to me, again, even though it wasn't something that I had any familiarity with it also seemed to not work based on the rules that the uh, that the guy has set up which is that people are pouring over every word and parsing it for the past five years and this is still not eluded their their gunter's eyes again though remember he has not got up from his desk while he's writing this so he's looking at the shelf that sits above his computer and that module was on the shelf so <laughs> that's how he came up with it right um so yeah that's the uh that's the reveals but that whole section of him talking about Halliday and then finally making that decision is is interrupted by the passage that sort of got us into this whole mess. Yes, indeed. This is the big one. This is uh, this is incredible. This is the list that was passed yes. around. Um, yes. We referenced it, I think, in in both previous our pre episode and episode number one. Now it's time. Let's let's dig in, Connor. All right. So yeah, it starts saying sort of what he did for his research and uh, what he did for his research is a whole lot of references that just he 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 lists one after another pretty much. And and the big problem with this, you and I, of course, we're reading this separately. We're not sitting on a couch sharing a book, uh, came up with the same conclusion. Uh, there's a big, big time problem here, isn't there? This guy <laughs> yes. is 17 years old, correct? Yes. So he's 17 years old. He's been doing this for five years. So he started when he was 12, which I guess is probably sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And so he's as a, as a 12 year old, um, you know, and I assume he's he's smart and everything, but he's he's already delving into the complete works of Kurt Vonnegut, Neil Stevenson. Uh, you know, he's he's read literally every book by Stephen King, um, <laughs> which is, you know, sure. OK, why not? But uh yeah, like you mentioned, this 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 calls into some questions, and I, so I did just a l- very basic level of research um, into how long some of this would take. So he mentions Terry Brooks, who wrote the Shannara series of books, right? And looking into that, uh, Terry Brooks, uh, if you read all of his books, uh, that's twelve thousand two hundred and forty nine pages, and that does not <laughs> include his his novelizations of Hook and the Phantom Menace. Um, <laughs> okay. So that's 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 just a ton of of of, you know, dense fantasy novels. And, you know, I looked into sort of what adults read um, and sort of what counts as a page. So if you just assume a, a good reader is 250 words per minute and there's probably around 250 words a page, that means that even if you go by his assertion that he's doing this for 12 hours a day, seven days a week, that will still take 17 days of reading nothing but Terry Brooks um, in order to do that which is just a colossal, a colossally stupid way to go about trying to find this, this, this Easter egg. Yeah. But he also mentions along with this, that this comes up again and again, is that he memorizes things too. And he, he constantly like James, when refers to 
how a, uh, a phrase or a little passage from James Halliday's writings or one of the little poems was constantly running through my head. I'm like, how many heads do you have to do this shit? <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's, he's memorized uh, every Bill Hicks routine, um, which is, I looked it up, it's nine hour-long albums. So that's, <laughs> that's you, know, uh, you know, sure, you can learn all the lines for if you're playing Hamlet somewhere. That's, you know, a lot of talking. I don't think it's nine hours of soliloquies. Um, he's also spent several months studying and memorizing the Tomb of Horrors, um, as he gets obsessed with that and he's memorized all of Anorak's almanac. So those are all tech texts and lengthy, lengthy monologues that he, if we take him at his word has memorized. But let's also remember that the baseline of what he's doing, generally what he's doing, um, he talks about his spare time a lot. And, uh, I think the family ties thing, that's like, that's, eight hours a day at least where he's watching family ties. Cause he mentions that he watched every episode and he watched them multiple, multiple times. times. Yeah. So we, that was in the very beginning of the book. We didn't talk about it, but it was a key thing. That was where I stopped reading the first time I picked this book up. Cause I was like, if family ties, you know, a, a, a bad show that was, you know, just sort of, I assume the full house of its time. If that plays a role here, I'm out. Cause I don't need, I don't need to look back on that fondly. Like, um, it has no value. <laughs> no one talks about family ties in any sort of way that you feel left out of a conversation. So, yeah, I think you're safe if you just go, you know what? I never saw a single episode of family yeah. ties. So he, but, he, but he's watched them all 180 he, episodes, 24 yeah. minutes. That's 72 hours of family ties. So take him at his word. That will take him six, 12 hour days. And he's watched all of them multiple times. So I think that's at least three times. And so 18 days, um, of, of his of his 60 months, he took up 18 days watching Family Ties multiple times. And just as you're entering into that third time, you're watching season six, episode 12 of Family Ties. You've got to be like, I should probably move on uh, to something else, because, you know, when you're using all of pop culture as your source material, there's probably a decent way that I could be spending this time. Yeah, you're not maximizing it. And I would also point out that I believe Family Ties was one of those series. It was right in the sweet spot that had many very special episodes. Okay. So there's a lot of gut-wrenching stuff in there, you know, <laughs> like lots of characters probably, you know, dying or, or running into friends having cancer and stuff, you know, the things that they used to do. So this is not an easy, uh, breezy kind of watch. This is tough right. going. And But also we trained for three months just watching John Hughes movies. Um, so that takes out a sizable percentage of his time just for just for that um he watched every episode of the simpsons uh which is <laughs> nearly thirteen thousand minutes of the simpsons um and that's you know another show that premiered 88 89 so he's spending a lot of time devoted to the non-80s portion of that show um and can we also point out because we when we were musing about this we said does he explain this at all and and people listening to this will probably say, well, maybe in the in you know the next few chapters he's going to explain how he actually zips back and forth through time or something like. No, no, he doesn't. This is on its face because he gives one sentence to it. Right? It's like, yeah. hey, when you don't sleep that much and you're you awake, you don't have a life. Yeah, yeah, you can really get through this. So again, that that area, unless he's cheating us, is closed off to us. There is no time <laughs> travel or compressed time. Right. He's not doing like a weird speed reading that's been invented where they just flash it onto your retina um, and you yeah. absorb it. Right. Um, but yeah, so he also he lists all his favorite directors. 
which he ends by saying, and of course, Kevin Smith, which. Uh, yeah yeah (laughs) that is not an of course yes in any world i'm familiar with yeah uh so kevin smith who directed his first movie in 1994 um and has no no relevance to the 80s other than the fact that he uh does similar stuff where he just will in his movies have characters talk about star wars um is noted as you know, of course, of course, I would I would I would spend my time watching all 12 movies and 1215 minutes of Kevin Smith movies. Yep, that's a big, of course. And and uh, these things just stack up. I mean, that was all we could think of is like, how are you doing this? I mean, it right. is unbelievable. Um, yeah. And he he gets into music. Uh, he mentions um, Devo and they might be giants. But he also sort of says, like, you know, there's a lot of music. And he uses a sentence that I thought was hilarious. So he lists this, this he, you know, he's, he's listed two pages of just things he likes and references, and it's all encompassing. And then when he talks about music, he says, Halliday didn't seem to have had very discerning taste, <laughs> which is a <laughs> an understatement of all understatements at this point in time. It's a weird sentence thrown in after uh, saying that the, the book about Halliday was literally his Bible, I believe was one term. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but he, then there's these toss off sentences about, yeah, the guy seemed like kind of an asshole, you know, <laughs> like, right, it's, yes. it's um, so weird. But so, yeah, it, 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 it makes him be like, well, you know, he didn't, not all the stuff he likes is good, but I'm still just, you know, I'm shoveling it down my throat because, um, it, it could be the key to my winning riches, I guess. So it just, if there's no value to some of the stuff that he's mentioning, it sort of just undermines his whole theory that, um, people should be paying attention to this, that this is worth our time, that it's worth crafting this weird nostalgia to look back at. It's very strange. Yeah, I think he assumes his conclusion there with, of course, everyone should be interested in this because the the puzzle hunt comes up after his, you know, he obviously had already been uh, been living and wallowing in all of this garbage and then... <laughs> And then right. coincidentally found someone else. But so, yeah, the, the value of it is never explained. It's never questioned whether this is worthwhile to do. It's justified uh, post hoc with the it'll help me solve a puzzle. <laughs> That's Right. And it, and it turns out that, you know, a vast majority of that stuff is not going to because um, as we see what happens later, like, you know, you don't have to have, you don't have to have read the entire uh Neil Stevenson bibliography. Um, you're just going to have to be good at a video game. Um, but it reminded me of a, uh, of a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, um, where I have it on my screen. Uh, Calvin is saying to Hobbes, he's like, I'm writing a novel. And Hobbes says, what's it about? And Calvin says, it's about a guy who flicks through TV channels with his remote control. And Hobbes just does a silent take to the audience and then leaves. And Calvin says, they say to write what you know. <laughs> That's exactly Which is exactly what this guy did. It's, 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 you know, it's slightly less, you know, obtusely dull than flicking through TV channels, but it's not that much different than it. Uh, that's funny because as I was reading some of his, uh, and, and we'll get to it, it's a department coming up, our favorite dumb sentence. As I was searching <laughs> some of the dumb sentences, uh, I was thinking like, it's not exa- it's not like Snoopy writing a novel. It's more like Charlie Brown trying to imitate a novelist or like scratching <laughs> out things. It, it, it is just the dumb. Some of the sentences are so dumb, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Yes. Um, and so, well, one thought I had while I was reading this um, was he's listing all this stuff. 
And at some point in time, there was a fairly notable omission, I thought, and uh, one that you might take kind of personally. Oh, yeah. What is that? <laughs> the show that you uh, worked on for a solid decade that seems like, <laughs> based on other stuff he's listed, easily could have could have been part of this list. You know, that I think that briefly crossed my mind. I actually had a, a little uh, twinge of fear about that. <laughs> and then when the list was complete, I didn't. And then I sort of put it out of my mind. But I should have that, that is right. I, I cannot believe that that has been omitted. It, it is a strange, I mean, just based on what we know and, you know, all that, uh, it seems like there was a, maybe an editor took it out. Maybe they didn't recognize it or maybe they said, you have gone way too far. Stop listing things. Maybe there was three additional pages of, of things that he cut. Hang on, hang on. An editor took it out? <laughs> That's right. Well, you yes. better check yourself right. there, my friend. The fact that this exists uh, <laughs> confirms the earlier theory. Um, and so it sort of ends with this 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 thing he lists where he just talks about how good he is at video games, which, again, is right what you know type of thing. Um, but he he just essentially says, but I also played through every video game. And while that might seem difficult because video games are really tough and take a long time, uh, not the case because I'm just really, really good at them from picking them up. I'm able to solve them immediately. And uh, it reminded me of the 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 phrase that is used in uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. That's, you know, a jokingly phrase where they say that the Ben Stiller character from a young age had an almost preternatural gift for international finance. <laughs> so he just, he says that and you just have to accept it. Cause it's like, you know, I, I, you know, I pick up a video game and they're, they're difficult. They take a long time and they're hard to get through, but he just can beat any game as soon as he picks it up. Hey, Hey, come on, man. You're the, the ladies already love you. There's no reason <laughs> to pile on with that kind of information. <laughs> Um, but that, uh, is a good transition, I think, into, uh, our next segment, which is the dumb, dumbest sentence of the episode. Oh, yes, indeed. You know what? I have a, uh, I have a theme song for that. Oh. Uh, b- before we do that, do we, th- you're listening to this live folks, as we figure this out, <laughs> do we want to get into the, uh, is it the, the lich, lich uh, battle? Yeah. So that, that, that sort of has the same, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about that first. We can, we can. Um, cause that, that had a few contenders as well. So the whole, once he discovers the tomb of horrors, he goes and he discovers that there is a replication of it somewhere in his world. Uh, he travels there using some, a very convoluted system. Uh, he goes into lengthy things talking about how you travel in the Oasis, which I thought was a very interesting thing. They've, cause they had essentially factored in these needless loading times into the system in order to keep you from going places. Uh, right, right. Which was a, you know, it was sort of a retrofitted, like those don't need to exist, but I guess they've just grafted them on and gamers who are very frustrated by traveling in games to complete a mission and loading times just accepted that it came back into vogue in 20 years. Yeah, I think they, it's like saying um, you had to scroll for a really long time to get somewhere and people just accept that again. (laughs) You said it would take an hour of running at some point in time. So you're just going to set that up and, um, it's yeah. So we all know that's not how that works. Like if you've played a VR game, I played it once and you just you you click a button, you point sort of a cursor, you click it and you travel there because no one wants to just walk as you're playing a game anyway. <laughs> yes, uh, he, he heads into there and he he has the map to the tomb. He goes to lengthy descriptions. It was the same thing as Halliday, sort of reinforcing that he is not a good avatar. He is on level three. He needs to be level 10 and he drills that down over and over and over again that his equipment's not good he doesn't stand a chance against this demi lich 
And uh, is he uh, is he a noob by any chance? A, yes, he is a noob. It was very funny uh, when he says that. Um, even though I'd been a gunter since day one, everyone still considered me a noob. It was beyond frustrating. And that said four pages after they were applauding him for besting IROC in the uh, in the chat room. So <laughs> he has it both ways. He's he's wide, widely respected by his fellow gunters, but they all still consider him a noob. So oh man, he keeps pulling Pendergrass. I don't but know. what I thought. What I thought was funny is that he he goes through such tossed off references where he's like, oh, it was like, you know, they were they were dancing in a matter and wearing clothes that indicated it was the late 80s. Or he says, <laughs> like, my surroundings made me feel I was in a low budget sword and sorcery fic like Hawk the Slayer. So he's fine using that general terrible comparison just to establish this. But yet he goes for pages and pages describing this virtual world instead of saying like, oh, you know, um, Second Life. Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> it's precisely that. He's like, virtual storefronts appeared where, yeah, yeah, we know how this works. Um, yeah, paragraphs you know. of descriptions of that. That's where I was worried that uh, I would be lost on this book out of boredom. And then he yeah. quickly, he he got into the much more punchable areas where I just wanted, to, was angry. So I was engaged again. Right. So I I think that the, uh, the thing that it reminded me of, in, in addition to padding out a, a report, was um, when you're when you're doing like improv and I've done a decent amount of bad improv. Uh, one of the things that you you mistakenly do in the beginning is you you avoid doing the thing that everyone's talking about. Like if you're going to be doing a you know in the in the scene, if you're doing a concert or something, you, you 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 talk about doing that as a way of avoiding the difficult thing of actually performing a concert type of thing. And that's right. what he's doing endlessly in this book. He just keeps talking about when I get to face the lich, it's going to be impossible for me to defeat him. Another page later, my armor was really bad. So when we squared off, it's like, get, just go fight the thing. Like this is, this is not, you're just reemphasizing things over and over again. Yeah. He, I have a, uh, I have a, a, a sentence here that should illustrate that instead of, you know, describing it in any way. He talks about how, um, Halliday's avatar vanished in a flash of light, accompanied by a teleportation sound effect I knew had been lifted from the old 80s Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I guess you can just throw stuff in like that, and, and, and if you know that sound effect, you'll like it. If you don't, maybe you'll look it up, and it's a it's a easy way to, to describe, um, to make people feel like they're know something without you doing any other work yourself. They'd later do that with the star Wars theme um, that like a literal song from star Wars plays as he's leaving that temple. Oh yeah. He describes it. And I don't know what he's talking about. And obviously I'm not going to look that up, but um, <laughs> I will note that I, uh, at least once a day when my wife least suspects it, I read a sentence from this book and, and then I, <laughs> and I note her reaction and I, I read the sentence I had just read to her this morning while she was enjoying some coffee and some eggs and she was just like <laughs> it was basically please. like get the hell out of here. Yes. <laughs> please leave me alone everything i value is negated by that <laughs> yeah so uh, it reminded me of uh you know the movie scott pilgrim did very similar things it would just play sound effects and music from the legend of zelda and stuff and that was sort of a movie that everyone was equally jazzed about when it came out but it was a uh we sort of use that as shorthand for like the thing, you know, snakes on a plane, essentially. Everyone was like, this is, it was all over Comic-Con. It's going to revolutionize things. And it came out and people were like, oh yeah, this kind of sucked. And only like weird weirdos went to see it. So, but they would just, you know, yeah, that was the, the shorthand they used. Right. Yeah. They used it constantly. And I, and I actually think, you know, he's, he's a talented guy and it is much more artful in that movie than it is in this. So sure. yeah. <laughs> as a comparison, <laughs> 
But anyway, so he gets to the face the lich, and the whole um, thing ends up being that the the demon wants him to play joust with him. Yep, and so page uh, maybe three pages of a uh-huh. really dull description of a guy yes. playing joust, which <laughs> I don't. That was sort of in my sweet spot. I I think that was in my you know like my the college rec room. Sure. That game was there. I I found it incredibly dull and frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so. I had played it uh, growing up, you know, and it was sort of a uh, just you know a fine game that you could play with two people, but um, certainly something that you probably play for five minutes and be like, all right, I got, I get this now. Let's move on to something better. Yeah, what shocked me was the he's actually describing it again. He does this thing, like you say, where he'll he'll go page upon page describing, um, you know video games that could be described in one word and then later he's like it was the star wars theme you know so yes. why didn't you give us that with the joust right. like he's yes. describing the ostrich and the dragon or whatever the hell it is i don't know and the, he's like actually giving really clumsy descriptions of how you would play it like is anyone left out of this thing is anyone at this point <laughs> who hasn't thrown the book across the room going joust uh, i need a couple pages of description on that right like, no they know what it is and I felt, uh, let me let me try and find it in the book. I just thought that, you know, I watched a video of it, and because I, I, I remembered it, but I just watched some video of Joust, and it's very low-key, like, you know, there's one screen, so it's not very dynamic, but he makes it, uh, <laughs> he says, during this time, Asarak managed to kill me twice, mercilessly slamming his winged mount into mine at the perfect trajectory, which, like, you know, it's like, oh, that, that sounds kind of dramatic. You watch the game, and it's like, oh, yeah, like the very pixelated thing ran into the other one and sort of bumped yeah. off it. And <laughs> yes, I noted that too. I remember the actual confrontation of jousting was pretty dull. It was just, yep. you just, it's a you just had to be car. one pixel above the other person. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, fortunately our hero is good at this cause he's spent, he again, took several months to train cause he wanted to beat H in joust. And that was another one of my favorite passages where they were playing and he got so good at it that, the last time we'd played, I'd rubbed his nose into feet so mercilessly, that word is, uh, that paragraph is above the next use of mercilessly uh, that I just read, so mercilessly that he'd flipped out and vowed never to play me again. So, <laughs> so like, they, you know, he, we saw their, their, their interactions last time where he was calling him crap burger or something, so he just, he must have really escalated the, the intensity of calling him a crap burger or something as he, he vowed to never play him again as he mocked him for beating him. I, I wonder if that for once took away H's um, Cheshire grin, which is again <laughs> described as going ear to ear. What kind yes. of monster is this person? <laughs> this is awful. Um, so, yeah, so he beats him in that and gets the key. And so um, I don't know if there's anything else to, to talk about there. Like we said, it was a fairly, fairly straightforward playing a video game to beat him. Um, no real super knowledge or smarts needed just having to be good at a specific video game yeah i um it took everything i could muster to not read the entire paragraph of uh him talking about uh, learning joust with h so <laughs> if you are reading along with the book please reread that if you're not uh you you're missing out it was <laughs> astonishing but connor i think it's time and and here's yes. our theme song here we go let's uh begins with a capital letter. A capital letter is a letter that's big. A capital letter is not a small letter. A capital <laughs> letter is big, big, big. A sentence ends with a period. 
Or an yes, indeed. Or a question mark. It's Eminem time. is not sounding himself these days. <laughs> or an it's, it's time for our department where we seek out the dumbest sentence. And this is, uh, boy, the bar is high uh, after all we've already gone through. But uh, I dug one up. Well, why don't you go first? Because I think you know okay. mine and yours I is a surprise yours I am worried, worried that mine is not going to live up to yours because you picked a really good one. But mine is when he's... Going into his description of how good he is at video games, and uh, the sentence I picked was, when I was in the zone on a high-speed classic-like Defender, I felt like a hawk in flight, or the way I thought a shark must feel as it cruises the ocean floor. (laughs) And so it really really hinges on that last, last thing. He feels like a hawk in flight, or the way he thinks a shark must feel as it cruises the ocean floor. And just the, the injection of... How he thinks a shark must feel got to me because you could end that sentence with I felt like a hawk in flight and it would not be good, (laughs) but it wouldn't be super dumb. But he went for that uh, getting inside the shark's head as it cruises the ocean floor. That's pretty good. And it's reminiscent of it would have been one of my runners up where he talked about um, how when he won the key from him. This is not my sentence, but it's a runner up. Resist the urge. Yeah, he says uh, no. He says something about how. Uh, I felt like I was overcome with awe and and wonder or something like that. Okay. <laughs> like he wasn't overcome. He kind of felt like he might be. Feelings. I wasn't yeah. really sure. God. Uh, anyway. I thought you were going to say, uh, thank you, noble Asarek, I replied, resisting the urge to jump up and down and shake my ass victoriously in his general direction. Oh, my God. <laughs> Again, a, not a behavior anyone has ever done upon winning a video game, and we hope it stays that way. Um. Well, what did you have? So here's my uh, nomination for the dumbest sentence. Now, this is uh, he, he first the first part of it is him quoting uh, a line from the, the puzzle. And then he continues on from there. So it's in a tomb filled with horrors. Hmm. This line was trickier taken at its face value. It seemed to say that the key was hidden in a tomb somewhere. One filled with horrifying stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed to. Yes. Oh man! Wow. Um, I don't know what to say about that sentence. It's it uh, reads. It's like Homer Simpson parsing something. This hmm. seems like there is a tomb, maybe filled with horrors. Taken at its face value. Hmm. <laughs> Good lord! Unbelievable. And, and so you know, taken at its face value, sure. But then it is taken at its face value, and it's even stupider because the tomb of horrors is called the tomb of horrors. Yeah. Like there isn't any not face value. The face value is its name. So, right. uh, that's, that's actually it. Uh, but I think it'd be fun if because uh, there's there's so many. And so uh, if the listeners out there would like to send in their nominations, we uh, we certainly will take them and maybe we can uh, incorporate them. So for the next yeah, few yeah, chapters, yeah, think about that and underline a sentence and uh, maybe we'll pull yeah. we'll pull one of yours and. Uh, yeah and uh, nominate that so yeah so let us know then thanks to everyone who has emailed and twittered and facebook so far it's been fun to read your impressions uh of this and if i have got back to you if i haven't sorry about that but there has been a decent amount so it's been a tricky uh tricky thing to manage but it is fun to see that people are that we're not just reading this and being too curmudgeons i feel like i think people are, are reading it and picking up on a very similar themes that we've been talking about yeah i mean we're we're having a lot of laughs i mean we're enjoying it <laughs> we don't do stuff that we don't enjoy that would be right. crazy oh, yeah. Uh, but I think uh, we covered a lot. So should we, we did. let's wrap up with the star Wars references. I've tallied those. Yeah. Uh, we okay. have four last week. We have five this week. Um, which is again, we're, we're not even a quarter of the way through the book. So someone had a tie fighter parked in the school parking lot. 
He says the Firefly universe was anchored in the sector adjacent to the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, so I was curious about copyright uh, protections, but that's for another discussion. But they seem to to not be existent anymore, even though these, this stuff is valued more than ever. Uh, Halliday was the largest private collection of Star Wars action figures. He calls the Star Wars movies one of the holy trilogies during the list. And then, as we said before, the Star Wars medal ceremony score plays as he's given the copper key. Wow. Um, <laughs> here's my just, little... My little yeah. grab bag on that. Was I wrong? Was Back to the Future mentioned only first on page 56? It must have been before that, right? During the list? Yeah. Well, yes. I was going to give him credit for waiting that long, but it must have been mentioned before that. Uh, I believe it oh, took okay. till page 45 to mention Firefly, so I give him credit <laughs> for that. That notable 80s property. <laughs> yes. Um, um yeah, but I mean, I just think about when we when we put a script together, if there was even if it was a Star Wars movie and there was nine Star Wars references in the first 25 minutes of a movie, it'd be like, what on earth were people thinking? Like, you can't just do this. You can't just line up Star Wars lines after another because, you know, their their impact, which I guess, you know, we know that has some people like it, but it's severely diminished by the 10th time that you're doing it. Well, again. The editor was busy crossing out references to how Halliday enjoyed books, movies, '80s things, and video games. So it was you know, his pencil was literally worn down to a nub by then. Um, here's a question I had. This is our uh, little grab bag before we wrap this up. So it's just stray notes. He suspects that his teacher in school, the teacher's avatar, which is a Tweedy college professor with patches on his elbows, he says is in fact how he actually looks which is what he said about his nerd crush. And I just wondered, yes. what on earth makes him think that anyone looks like his or her avatar? Yeah. Like, what in his experience leads him to that conclusion? That's insane. Who, like, the guy obviously chose it. And he says himself, like, for all I know, it could be an Inuit in, a, in an igloo. Yeah, in Alaska. <laughs> yeah. But I suspected and, strongly that it was actually him. Like, what do you have zero <laughs> Whose right. avatar has ever been themselves? That's insane. Right. Even when you pick an actual photo of yourself, it's probably not going to actually, you know, it's going to be a, a good representation of, but not what you actually look like on a day-to-day basis. So it's <laughs> crazy to, to imagine that in this day and age of VR that anyone would 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 choose something resembling themselves. Yeah, I just found that curious that he only picks out two people who do that. No, in fact, he may say that about uh, H as well. H? Yeah. <laughs> he's just, it's like believing in Santa Claus, I guess. Uh, you just <laughs> right. want to... Uh, something I thought about that I thought, I thought it was, it's weird how it's been strangely devoid of Nintendo properties because Nintendo came out in like 1985 and um, defined video games going forward way more than Atari did. Um and so I, he mentions Donkey Kong at the beginning of it, describing it as stacks. But I think that uh, I don't know if there's been a reason for that, but it seems a, a notable omission so far to me. Well, maybe that was the one thing the editor did. Maybe that was the well or a lawyer. A lawyer right, insisted that, that the editor do that, I guess. Right. That, that's what it could be. Uh, the only other thing I had was, he's uh, you know, in school, like we still don't really understand what's happened here, but we get more clues about society. The The Great Recession was entering its third decade and. Fast food joints have two-year waiting lists for jobs. Yes, I noted so that as well. That would, that would seem to sort of like negate the necessity to tour the Louvre wearing silly virtual berets. Yes. Um, like I don't know what the – he doesn't want to get kicked out of school because then he loses his technology. But everyone else is just sort of sitting there as they're like going to go home and their dad's robbing liquor stores in order to feed them. And they're just doing the same generic yeah. stuff that schools have been doing for, for all time. It's very – 
Very strange. I thought the description of what he did in his history class was absolutely James Wenian comical. Of, uh, <laughs> then we visited the Great Pyramids of Giza. Then we went to the Louvre. And, and this was all like yesterday, you know, they were all contiguous. Like, right. like what kind of lunatic history tour yes, is this? Yes, exactly. What unit was this? Yeah. Are any of those buildings still standing? Because we... Uh, right. So... I have one last uh, a sentence that this is just a stray, and it struck me as very, very dumb, but it didn't. It was when he um, he's asking the uh, the leech, leech, lich, leech, lich, lich. We've got a bad track record with this. It's probably pronounced. I, I, I watched like a, the letter. I watched a ten minute video. It's lich. That's what it okay. is. Um, he says to him, um, what are you going to do to me if I don't, you know, if I lose or something like that? And he's like, I will crush you into a powder and make you disappear or something. And he goes, oh, of course, that was my first guess. I just wanted to oh. check. Yes. <laughs> it's like, what is this? <laughs> well, oh, sorry. I, yeah, of course, the monster's going to crush. Yes. <laughs> it was so, so tone deaf and, and bizarrely out of place in that, right, uh, in that moment. The humor is is not very common in this book. The other thing I noted was when he was like, oh, you you have to use your real name so you don't have teachers addressing a guy named Big Wang 69. Yeah. Which, you know, sure. Like that's, you know, get that out of there. But like it is jarring when you come across something that is sort of intended as a joke uh, in this character's voice. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's that's all the uh, the notes I have. I think we went pretty deep on this one. So. Yeah, that, I mean, well, there's a lot. To, there you know, is a lot. I have not read a book like this in a long time where I'm taking notes and underlining things. It's amazing what you can think, when, what you can find when you set out to, you know, take a take a more critical look at a book. Yeah. Um, so should we give them their reading assignment? Yeah. And so for next time, we're going to go through chapter 13, and in our book, that's. Um, page 133. So that means read up to chapter 14. Um, I haven't gone any further than a few sentences on the next page because I was curious who had entered the tomb. Uh, that was the cliffhanger. But Yeah, th this was, I noted, one of the uh, very few times there was an actual cliffhanger. I mean, chapters are utterly arbitrary up until this point where he's like, I was confronted by a thing I didn't recognize. Don't, don't, yeah. don't. It's like, yeah, why well, was, wasn't every chapter done like this? <laughs> he entered a, ch a chat room. Don't forget about that. That was, <laughs> that was pretty exciting. Pulse is still so. pounding. Yeah. All right. So uh, you've got your assignment and yep, through uh, chapter 13. And I think we're uh, we're all set to go. So uh, we will uh, we'll see you next time. On, see you next uh, time, everybody. Three hundred and seventy two pages. Never get back. <laughs>